Good morning and good evening and good afternoon, wherever you may be on this rotating globe. Merry Christmas, one and all. We have a present for everyone on planet Earth. Actually, we got a couple. But the one we're going to talk about tonight is we are in contact with someone on this Christmas weekend, this Enterprise Mission Christmas weekend that we set up so many weeks ago as an effort to reach out and broadcast to a potential interstellar AI, a probe, a robot, a bracewell device, something akin maybe to my friend Arthur C. Clarke's Rama. Whatever it may be, it came through the solar system over four years ago, four years and a couple of months, and it changed dramatically a whole bunch of things. And it occurred to me tonight, as I was putting this together with the help of an awful lot of people that I want to mention uh, as we go through the evening, that um, something else happened right after Amuamua appeared. And, uh, you know, as, as we go through the morning, I will go into some of these details. Welcome, one and all. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you are, you know, not too stuffed with turkey and stuffing and all the other goodies. I hope you are with your families. I hope you are listening in front of some wonderful fire somewhere. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't have Kinthea with us tonight, because she is up country with her family, and she's so so deserves it you know back when we were kind of thinking about doing this um um i i talked with her and she said you're you're kidding you're going to do a live show on christmas and i said well yeah because you know i remember way back when when robin and i were together and we would uh, be wrapping things uh, on the dining room table and uh, i would take time out because uh, george or before him art would call and we would talk to the audience on Christmas Eve, kind of like um, an extended family. Well, Robin isn't here anymore, so you guys, you are the extended family. And there's a lot of people who are not enjoying family, and they're all alone. And uh, I want you to know that we're thinking of you. And we're going to bring you extraordinary tidings. There is something so, so wondrous, so astonishing, so absolutely shatteringly amazing going on in a positive sense. I mean, the world, if you look at the news, you can get very, very, very depressed. Well, since December 4th, since we began this experiment, we have been getting return answers. Now, as we're going to talk about in detail tonight, the answers, um, and by the way, tomorrow night as well, because part two of this very complex interchange of information, which is going on with someone out there is too much to tackle in one night. So I have uh, lined up some very interesting, diverse perspectives on what's going on and who might be responding and what the meaning of what we're getting uh, ultimately signifies and all that good stuff. And uh, we have a very full house tonight, so I should probably get along with it. So anyway, uh, on a final note, yes, uh, you are not forgotten. We are here and we are live and we have some amazing things to talk about because someone is sending us very good 
news. And I will explain over the next three hours exactly what I mean by that with the help of a very interesting panoply of guests and friends and colleagues. And again, more of the extended other side of Midnight Family on this Christmas night of 2021. The first bit of good news, if you are new to the show and you don't know quite how it works, we have a section called Radio with Pictures. Not exactly video most of the time, but images, kind of like snapshots of things we talk about and references so that when you uh, finish listening to the show and if you're a member of Club 19.5, you can go back and at your leisure plumb the depths of these links, these images, these videos, these papers, whatever is up there. And you can kind of fill out, as uh, Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Item number one, what you want to do is you want to go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says, uh, by the way, this is a, an animated banner created by John Womack, who was one of our guests tonight. A really, you know, John, you really outdid yourself. Um, it's titled The Oumuamua Transmissions, Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Craft. And some of you may know uh, where I stole that title from and others may not but you're going to anyway you click on that banner that will take you to the guest page and right under the guest page you will see fast links to items you want to click on my name as you can see there we have richard maria john and david and uh, you're going to click on my name that takes you down to my section of radio with pictures under that radio with pictures banner uh, the first item, as we have done now for a couple, three months, is La Palma. And we've been keeping everyone abreast on La Palma, giving out this link so you can put it on your phone. If you're along the coast, you wanted to kind of be aware of something really bizarre was happening, like major eruptions or major earthquake, because uh, the geophysical models that were published back in 2001 said that there was a significant, not not huge, but significant chance that under the right conditions, about half the island could slide into the Atlantic, causing a mega tsunami. And that, as Carl used to say, would not be good for beagles or begonias. Well, the good news tonight on this Christmas night of 2021, the authorities on La Palma have broadcast the all clear. The eruption of La Palma in the Canary Islands has officially ended. And you want to click on that link and read all the details. But as of a few days ago, and again, it was re-emphasized re, uh, uh, this evening, the La Palma eruptions, the longest in the recorded history of the La Palma volcano, are over. And that is very intriguing for a whole bunch of reasons. Now... Item number two, this was so appropriate. It, there, it turns out that the Spanish uh, military has been conducting rescue efforts around the island to try to round up and feed. Spain's civil guard has been rounding up and feeding the literally hundreds, if not thousands of cats, which have been made homeless by people fleeing and by the eruptions and the lava and the steam and the ash and all that stuff. And if you click on item number two, uh, you will see a really adorable video. 
having to do with cats. Now, for those of you who've been following our research for many, many years, you know that somehow, as part of our own ancient history, certainly on this planet, but apparently also on the planet Mars, cats, felines, play a very significant role. So again, this is one of those coincidences, uh, quinky dinkies, as a friend of, of Kanthea used to say, that I just could not resist because, uh, I mean, who can resist a good cat story on the internet? So they are now trying to find the owners, the families of these cats and reunite them. And uh, now that the volcano apparently has has ceased its uh, tumultuous activity, that should be a lot, a lot easier. Well, I said earlier that we have two Christmas presents to give you tonight. The first of which, of course, from our perspective, is this extraordinary two-way communication we're engaging in with someone out there. And although we're directing our attentions to Amuamua, um, my feeling over the last several weeks since we started this on the 4th of December is that we're getting answers from some kind of an interstellar or intergalactic or maybe even interdimensional party line. Because even when we're not transmitting on the particular frequencies that we have chosen, 144.1 and 432 megahertz, and we will explain again for those who have just joined us the significance of those two specific frequencies because nothing about this has been left to chance. Um, in addition to our Christmas present, which is decoding some of what we're getting, and boy, when you hear what we're getting, it's, it's an extraordinary gift from somewhere, some when, somehow, someone. The second gift comes from NASA and the European Space Agency, because in the wee hours of this morning, it was 5.20 a.m. here. And there I am sitting, you know, bleary-eyed, looking at the big screen. NASA was able to finally, after a quarter of a century and something like $10 billion. Before you freak out about the money, remember, uh, you know, that's a chicken feed compared to, you know, the price of, let's say, an F-35. But $10 billion has bought us the most extraordinary space telescope scientific instrument probably in the modern history of humankind and this morning at 5:20 a.m mountain time it was successfully launched from french guiana and is now moving at something like 20,000 miles per hour it'll take about a month to get there but it's moving to a point actually a region of space behind the earth away from the sun by about a million miles and there it will be parked. How do you park something in empty space? Well, you set up a gravitational set of interactions so that the forces kind of balance. And so the Webb telescope, this extraordinarily, incredibly complex piece of optical miracle engineering, which, as I said, has been worked on for about a quarter of a century with several stops and starts and false, oh, we're going to launch it next year, that kind of thing. Because the problems in creating this jewel were well nigh 
impossible even by 21st century space engineering and manufacturing technologies. But they went and did it, and we're going to see in the next few weeks, uh, NASA's going to have all kinds of updates, and I will report you know, weekly as we go through this, the progress in unfolding the multi-layered solar shield, which will prevent sunlight, infrared radiation, from heating the telescope, and it will be cooled down on top of this uh, uh, basically tennis court-sized multiple-layer mylar blanket, although I think maybe it's Kevlar, um, down to almost absolute zero. Now, you might ask, I did, why the heck do we have to build a telescope that's got a 21-foot-wide mirror? I mean, that's enormous. That's bigger than my living room. Why a telescope that's got a mirror, by the way, clad in gold, a few um, atoms thick? And why do you have to cool it down, way, way down to almost absolute zero? Well, the answer is that unlike Hubble, the Webb Telescope, the James Webb Telescope, named for the most brilliantly successful NASA administrator in history, the guy picked by Kennedy that basically got us to the moon in record time and achieved all kinds of astonishing things, including confirming with the Apollo data that there are ancient, extraordinary uh, artificial structures all over the moon, up to and including a dome surrounding the whole damn place. And you're going to hear more about that as we go through some of the new data from our moon bounce experiments with the uh, antenna that we have borrowed there in northern Arizona. We're going to be talking about using the moon bounce echoes to actually, by means of radar, with our own antenna system and half million watt effective transmitter, we're going to be able to probe by means of a citizen science radar the actual dimensions and geometric structure and reflective properties of this amazing lunar dome. Well, as part of that set of experiments, we did, as we did with the Muamua on the 4th, on the 11th, we sent a test transmission bringing into full gear to the moon. And we got back some really extraordinary things. So again, the question is, why are we cooling this, this Webb telescope, which has nothing to do with the moon, and is going out into a point, actually a halo orbit, uh, behind the Earth by about a million miles? Why do we have to cool it so incredibly chill, cold, frigid, near absolute zero, because unlike Hubble, it is a telescope designed to look in the infrared, in the area of the electromagnetic spectrum, which heat radiation predominates. And why do we do that? Because part of the mission of the Webb telescope is to look way back in time to something like 13.7 billion years ago, and the very universe that we've now put together as observations and theoretical models and lots of equations and tons of speculation was literally forming. So the Webb telescope with its infrared capabilities is going to be looking at the frontier where because of the expansion of the universe, 
close to the speed of light at that observable boundary. Visible light from stars, galaxies, nuclear interactions, etc., etc., is shifted by the redshift from the visible that Hubble could look at way down into the infrared. So if you want to look at those first moments in time after the Big Bang, you need to look in the infrared because that's where the signal has been downshifted, the electromagnetic radiation from forming galaxies and supergiant stars and the most incredible enigma of all, where did all those huge black holes sitting in the center of every galaxy that we have tabulated now, where do they come from? Do the galaxies come first, meaning an assemblage, a swirling orbiting assemblage of stars? Or do the black holes come first? And if that's true, where do they come from? These are just a few of the myriad of questions that Webb is going to finally, in the next six months, because that's how long it takes them to set everything up and check it out and make sure that nothing is wrong. Six months, and then we will begin to get some extraordinary answers. So that's item number three, the launch this morning from French Guiana of Webb. Now, item number four, this is the actual audio that uh, Jimmy Blanchett sent me um, a few hours ago. This is our transmission. This is what it actually sounds like if you were listening on a muamua or somewhere in the solar system in the beam of our half million watt radio transmission. This is the message we are sending, not just to Oumuamua, but ultimately someday to the stars, because it just keeps on going and going and going. And if there is this interstellar or interdimensional party line, judging by the responses we have gotten, what you're hearing in these frequencies, these coded hyperdimensional numbers, these basic constants, these immutable geometric properties of ancient sites all over the world. What you hear in those coded transmissions are questions and statements in our own hyperdimensional mathematical language that we have sent out into the dark starting on December 4th. We've added some complexity. We've added some imaging. We even added, as you're going to hear, some specific music coded in these hyperdimensional terms. And what we have gotten back from the dark, almost instantly, which immediately throws into the ash can that we're dealing with communication, which is limited to the speed of light. What we got back is, in fact, what you're going to hear momentarily again, because we're getting answers to the very frequency questions that we are posing.
What I'd like to do now is to introduce our panel, and in no particular order, because that would be too much <laughs> to remember on a night like tonight. Again, this is such an extraordinary Christmas gift that we're actually getting answers to these amazing fundamental queries that we're sending in this hyperdimensional code. Um, what I want to do is introduce, in no particular order, uh, we have uh, Maria Wheatley with us, and you will hear in a couple of minutes why she's joined us. Maria is a second-generation dowser who was taught by European master dowsers, her late father, and Chinese geomants. She's a leading authority on geodetic earth energies, ley lines, and stone circles. She's an accomplished author of many books on sacred sites and dowsing, and you can read the rest of her biography there on the other side of midnight. Jonathan Womack is back with us. Now, John has many, you know, uh, arrows in his quiver, uh, not the least of which is that he has personal experience with other dimensions since he's been leaving his body um, since the fall of uh, 1965 and um, has a rather remarkable uh, database on out-of-body experiences. But in the 3D reality, he also is a really um, interesting musician, um, and he has now got involved himself in computer processing and animations and graphical displays. So what I asked John to do, kind of translate some of the signals we've been getting back into a very visual form. And when we uh, get to John, he's going to show you some pretty amazing things that we have begun. I want to emphasize, just begun to decode from the signals we are getting. We also have with us uh, David Sarita. Now, David and I are kind of like kindred spirits because, you know, our language uh, between us is kind of math. A lot of people, their eyes glaze over when you bring up mathematics uh, and its companion geometry. But what what happens is that when we send out these codes the answers we are getting are A, in mathematical form, to the extent we're able to translate this cornucopia of amazing stuff that we've been recording. I mean, in the last several days, I probably recorded several uh, gigabytes, almost 10 gigabytes of return messages in the form of these wave packets of dots and dashes that are not Morse code. It's like the codes have codes within codes within codes, and we've only penetrated probably to the first level of the ultimate complexity that there is to be decoded. Well, I'm going to be unabashed tonight about asking for some additional help to help us do this, which is, could be in the form of funding. We have a donate button on the Enterprise uh, website on the other side of midnight, right there prominently in the page. We could use uh, donations in kind sophisticated software, algorithms that can take these waveforms and give us visual graphs and do statistical analysis and comparisons, for instance, between the, the sounds and signals I'm recording here and the sounds and signals that David is recording, you know, 1,500 miles away and the sounds and signals that um, uh, Jimmy Blanchett is recording uh, 500 miles to the west of me, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a multi point listening uh, array and what we like to do is to 
convolve all these separate recordings into a comparison. And you can't do it by eye. You can't do it by, you know, manual labor. It's got to be done by the right computer algorithms. Well, we don't have those at the moment. But somewhere out there on a planet that's listening to us tonight, we're in something like 190 plus countries, there does exist expertise and there does exist the software to take these signals and absolutely give us in return what they're trying to say at whatever level of complexity the signals are being sent and the images and data are being encoded. So we need some help. David is a citizen scientist born in Edmonton, Alberta in 1961. Um, he has been involved in uh, ancient studies, ancient uh, artifacts, ancient sacred sites for literally decades. He has produced and scored music for meditation, frequencies for tuning consciousness. He and his late wife uh, have had a meditation practice and consciousness course on audio and video called Quantum Regenesis. Um, he has hung around with numbers, these specific hyperdimensional frequencies for many, many years, um, having an education in everything from world religions to meditation, to philosophy, to science, including uh, fringe science, physics, photography, screenwriting, art, film, music, consciousness, UFOs, crop circles, history, sacred sites, transpersonal psychology. And I could go on for a while, and I won't. I don't want to bore you. You can go and read the whole thing there on the Enterprise uh, Mission Other Side of Midnight website. And last but not least, Michael Hill is joining us. Michael is an award-winning musician, a filmographer, and a UFO experiencer who incorporates cosmic harmonic frequencies, hyperdimensional frequencies, folks, into his music gained from communication with those not from here. I love that line, those not from here. He speaks on indigenous connections with star beings and the wisdom gained from those communications. He also has discussed and experienced time, numbers, and the literal physics of creation. And you can read his entire bio on the other side of midnight. And last but not least, we are joined by Ron Gerbron, who is our resident generalist. Um, and Ron likes to listen for a major part of the show. And then he comes up with either pissy questions or even more pithy observations. So uh, at any moment, Ron might break in with a really important question that I and other folks tonight have not thought of. So without further ado, welcome one and all to the other side of midnight to our Christmas Muamua weekend. Let's see, where should we begin? Um, I think to get the ball rolling, I want to go to Michael Hill. Michael, you're kind of responsible for this because... You're one of the folks that introduced me to the wondrousness of 432. So why don't you tell folks what you did in terms of the messages we are sending and how uh, out there we have really gotten because of knowing you? Oh, well, first of all, thank you and Merry Christmas. Uh, well, 432 is such an important uh, topic and it's what I was guided to by those who are not from here. And for one thing, they started using crop circles as kind of like a chalkboard 
in uh, the classroom. But um, that led to actually uh, meeting you and you aligning for a NASA scientist to look into my work. And um, what it was was cymatic images. Um, You're going to have to explain cymatics, please. All righty, we can. Um, are we at the top of a break here? Or are uh, we good? Let yes, me go check. Okay, well, see, people mm-hmm. need to look at things because I'm not looking at them very closely. Okay, so thank you, Michael. Come thank on you. it, Richard. Super, super. Nice to have a backstop. Um, I have been trying to pick music for tonight to do this, and I'm telling you, when I thought of what we're talking about and the idea of the Christmas star and what we're hearing through these transmissions, there was only one possibility that was not at all inappropriate. Welcome to a swift journey back in time. Said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star as a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. With a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? Ringing through the sky, shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear? Do you hear what I hear? A song, a song, high of the tree, With a voice as big as the sea. With a voice as big as the sea Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king Do you know The only reason they've done that is because they know and have openly admitted that it's unenforceable. So if they kept everyone locked down over Christmas, they know that everyone's going to ignore it because you're going to go and see your family at Christmas. Of course you are. And they know that you've got 65 million people in the UK. You can't, you can't please 65 million people going to each other's houses for Christmas. You can't do it. There's not enough police officers. So what they've done to try and keep some kind of you know, appearance of power is give us those days. So it's like, I know you're going around each other's houses, but we let you do it. Because that's better than keeping us locked down, us all doing it anyway, and them openly showing their weakness, which, which they have. They can't enforce it. And, and the police chief, chief constables, has said as much that it's unenforceable. And so that's what I think people need to realize is that all these music venues could open, all these theaters could open, all these restaurants could open, all these bars could open, as long as they all opened because then it's unenforceable. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Annetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. Cross my aching arm. Body like a clear 
Grease my breaking heart Make my stand right here Action over hope Make my stand right here Action over hope Action Show your face out here For his master power Let you hate and fear Cause not aching But I know what I know in your palace born mighty king. Do you know what I know what I know? A child, a child, shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. So tonight on this Christmas night of 2021, we're discussing what we have heard. An answer from the dark. An answer from someone who is responding to our coded hyperdimensional messages. Who's responding in kind. Who are they? Where are they? And what are they saying? So, Michael, um, a segue of music to music. What did you do to contribute to our interplanetary messages to Oumuamua last night, tonight, tomorrow night? Well... The one thing was uh, we were getting into cymatics, which is the new science of making the invisible visible for the first time that they can actually pump frequency through water now. But in the past, they would use a big metal plate and put sand on it, and they'd have a bow. And you could, once you bowed it and you got this tone, you could watch the sand dance, and geometry would form. And it wasn't random. Every time specific frequencies were hit, specific geometry would happen. Well, that's now evolved to the point that they have a big vat of water that is suspended in a tripod, and they can pump frequency through it. And um, so I started to be guided into the importance of 432 hertz. So I had recorded a uh, just my A note in my recording studio, but 
meticulously tuned properly to 432 hertz. And I sent that to the scientists, and I got back a uh, uh, 4K image of what was created, and it pretty much flipped out the scientists. They said, we've used this technology to image everything known to man, every frequency, uh, baby noises, you know, dolphin noises. They're becoming famous for developing a language to speak with dolphins. But um, they said, we've never seen the kind of complexity or dimensionality of anything we've ever imaged, but we never imaged our electric rock guitar amp. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they said that they believe it was actually the tubes that give you that crunch and what it's doing to the frequency that cre created this crazy dimensional image. But uh, that is one of the things um, that Jimmy was able to digitize and put into the transmission is that actual cymatic image. And because of your work and getting me aligned with a NASA scientist, they proved that uh, in particular I had encased it into quartz crystal glass that had a copper wrap. And they found that um, it's revitalizing dead municipal tap water back into like spring water energetics and a uh, signature. So right there, you know, I asked the scientists, I said, well, wait a minute, because I got all the data to back this up. Uh, they use GDV photography, which is the ability to record photonic light energy, kind of like Curian photography, but this is even a little bit more specialized into looking at the photonic light level of water. And uh, it's almost dead, you know. We've almost killed our drinking water if it's municipal tap water by chlorine and by fluoride and ma making it take right turns and whatnot. And it just looked like a little tiny pinprick of light. And then after they just set that same exact water on a disc, um, it just exploded with energy. It looks like a supernova went off inside the water droplet. So I asked the scientists, I said, well, wait a minute. If... There was no energy, but now there's energy. That's some form of unlimited free energy, you know. And Where's the energy so, coming from? Exactly. I was like, wait a minute. And so I asked her, I said, is this coming from our sun? Is it coming from our planets, our planet's electromagnetic fields, you know, tectonic plates? And she said, no, it's coming from another dimension. That really toasted my noodle, you know, because I never had to ask myself, Richard, uh, what's it mean to be drinking water that has energy from another dimension in it? But, um, it's, you know, I think it's leading us to a new form of energy propulsion. And I think it's kind of like what Tesla was saying, that you can align yourself with galactic source energy um, by aligning yourself with very specific frequencies. So that's the other thing that I uh, contributed was um, the octaves of A are very important in all of this when you're tuned properly because, uh, you know, it was Pythagoras who figured out, you know, it was very easy. If you want to find the, the accurate uh, hertz of any frequency, just because you got your middle A note on your piano tuned properly to 432, well, there's still a lower A note than a lower A note. All you do is divide by two, simple. So 432 lower octave is 216, because 216 and 216 is 432. And then uh, 108, and then 54, and then 27. But if you go higher, it's uh, 864. And why this is even important is... Um, 
You know, it was you, Richard, who um, I didn't know. I knew that there were musical frequencies, and I knew from my own working with them. But until you, I didn't understand that they were also pre-sessional cycle numbers. Mm. Or like the diameter of the moon, which is 2,160 miles in diameter, which, of course, means the mile is not an arbitrary unit. It's, it's part of the whole hyperdimensional you know, panoply of resonant frequencies, tonal harmonics, and basically it's what shapes the whole damn universe. And when you said you were surprised that these are you know, frequencies from outside of time and space, well, life itself in our model is a hyperdimensional projection into 3D reality. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, hyperdimensional water will re-energize hyperdimensional beings drinking water starved of the right frequencies. Yeah, you know, I've been drinking it nonstop now for years and what it's done for my health and others' health because I'm getting reports back now. You know, I can tell you some instances. You know, I don't like to get into the health of it a lot because, that's just a whole nother ball game, you know. I'd like to tell people, well, they're nice energy devices, these devices I make, or they're, it's a nice paperweight, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But the truth of the matter is people that have been using my products to um, energize their water, uh, they're having all these medical issues that they couldn't get rid of through, through their whole life, especially some skin-related issues such as uh, eczema and psoriasis. Uh, different people that said nothing has cured uh, their conditions. They started drinking 432 water and it's vanished. So I think like you said, you know, when you figure out, well, guess what? We're almost all water, 70 to 90% water depending Mm. on your age. And where do you think that energy is coming from that your cells are using? You know, Mm -hmm. it comes mostly from water. So all of a sudden when you got a supercharged, uh, uh, source, you know, it's a high octane fuel. Let's it's say it's kind of like a hyperdimensional battery. Water is a transducer; it's a pass through of the energies from other realms. Hey, let me ask you a dangerous question. Mm-hmm. The reason it's dangerous is because you remember lawyers are never supposed to ask a question they don't know the answer to. I don't know the answer to this one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, Michael. And I'm hoping, I'm praying you have the right answer. Do you have a copy you can play of the music that you sent? to a mua mua today yeah if your producer just go to uh no 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 you have to do it you have to do it or i have to do it our producer is off tonight spending Uh, incredibly valuable time with her family thank goodness Uh, that's wonderful well god bless her you know um man i hate to say i don't know how to do it i can tell you it's morning star and uh you know what i'm really excited about oh, wait a minute can you can you put the uh web link in this in the skype chat and then yeah. i can bring it up and then i can probably play it from here okay let me see what i can do okay while you're doing that let me segue to uh, david because uh david sarita is with us as i said he and i kind of talk the same language which has a lot of numbers in it and most people when you talk about numbers they go huh what are you talking about or they have what's called the Migo effect. My eyes glaze over. Um, but David has a way of making these numbers resonate. You like that pun, David? So let me bring David on. And I want to talk tonight, because we have Marie with us finally, of this astonishing thing that happened in the run-up to this Christmas weekend 
broadcast series to Oumuamua. We decided last Saturday on the 11th um, to send a test transmission to the moon. And David, I want you to pick up here. What did we get in return? Remember, we're using pokey speed of light radio transmission, 186,000 miles per second, which in terms of interstellar travel is nothing. You can't you know, get to the center of the galaxy. It's going to take you 26,000 years to go from here to there at the speed of light. And nothing we can envision in terms of engineering can go at the speed of light, so it's kind of like you're, you're dead in the water. But we seem to be getting answers that are totally transcendent of the mainstream physics speed of light. So as you were going through the returns, the response that we got, David, tell us what we got that was really mind-boggling from the moon bounce experiments a week or so ago. So when we did the moon bounce, you got to remember we're talking to the moon. So the first, so what I'm using, again, we're, we're using these handheld radios that are tuned to the same frequency as the transmission, which in this case, Jimmy said the transmission to the moon, which deflected to the earth in less than three and a half seconds at 144.1 megahertz and 432 megahertz. So Michael was just talking about 432. So on my 432 radio, I'm not only recording the audio of the chirps that both Tesla and Marconi also thought was extraterrestrial chatter because they ruled out Morse code that it was not Morse code. And we believe we're getting the same thing because it falls under the same description. So the first thing that I got on my 432 radio was they sent me the speed of light in metric. <laughs> I mean, this can't be an accident, right? Like you could like, and so what, what I'm doing is I'm using a frequency meter and I'm taking a picture as these frequencies as numbers are jumping all over the meter. Like a, like and a, my, uh, my, like, like a frame grab like a frame grab and it, it's the speed of light to accurate to 99.99% and the speed of light as we know it is not accurate to 99.99% because it changes ever so slightly every time they measure it. So that blew my mind. I said, they sent me the speed <laughs> of light. You have to understand when you calculate an electromagnetic frequency, you take the speed of light divided by it's the wavelength in the same unit of measure. So if I'm using metric for the speed of light, my unit of measure has to be metric for the wavelength. And then you get frequency. So it's a very simple calculation. It, it's not Greek. It's simple. The measurement of the speed of light, 299, 792.458 kilometers per second, divided by your wavelength. So that was really key that they sent that. Then all of a sudden, and, and I got screen grabs of these. We, we, I, I sent everybody in, in our group the speed of light. Okay, for people who think this is easy, did you kind of ballpark how, how, what the chances were of this just coming up randomly by coincidence? Well, they're not coming because I, I saw the speed of light three times. And it's like when you're redundant taking message. A, yeah, you're taking a picture of a hummingbird and the freaking bird is jumping all over the place. And you get one picture and the next shot you miss them. Well, I saw the speed of light because my eyes are really fast. I used to be a professional photographer and 
And I, I know how tricky it is to capture things that are moving fast. And these numbers are jumping around. And then another number I got was 8069.6. And something told me, divide that by the number that we're, um, that we're transmitting at, which was 144.1, because this number came in on my 144.1 radio. When I divided it by that, I got a number that led us to Stonehenge, right? <laughs> I got us to, I got us to um, um, 28 times 2, which is 56. And there, are, you immediately knew what the answer to that was, didn't you, Richard? You knew what 56. Well, it, it like it was like, oh my God, you got to be kidding! They give us a speed of light, kind of acknowledging. We know you guys are primitives and slow pokes and you're limited to radio and we're not, but we're acknowledging that you're sending us information at the speed of light. <clears throat> then the next thing they sent was this calculation that David just described, which resolves to 56. And in connection with the moon, it was like, okay, we're bouncing stuff off the moon. You know, they're saying they're t- they we're sending it at the speed of light. Well, the 56 leaped out at me because the only 56 that I could, you know, associate was the number of what are called Aubrey holes dug in a circle within the perimeter of Stonehenge, which according to Gerald Hawkins back in the 50s, he figured out that Stonehenge was a preeminent sacred site devoted to measuring the motions of the sun and the moon. And it was Fred Hoyle, who was a brilliant uh, astrophysicist of the 1950s, friend of uh, Chandrarik Ramasinghe, who's been on the show many, many times, an astrobiologist. It was, it was Hoyle who suggested that the ancients moved the, a stone around in the circle over the course of a lunar month, two stones per day and night, marking the day and the night cycle, winding up with 56 as a number, which of course now links our response through the Aubrey holes, the 56 holes to the lunar cycle, to the most extraordinary, well-known ancient celestial observatory in our dim hidden history of planet earth. And then of course the immediate person that I wanted to call and talk to and have on to talk about all this was none other than Maria Wheatley who spends a lot of her spare time, does she have spare time, at Stonehenge and knows more about Stonehenge probably than all of us on this panel put together. So, Maria, what do you think? It's truly astonishing, but I'd just like to correct you. Um, The 56 Aubrey holes were not holes. That's what was thought in the 1950s and the 1960s. With recent archaeology, we know that the 56 holes were the socket holes for 56 bluestones in Stonehenge Phase 1. So long before the Stonehenge that you recognize, and everybody does with a lintel stone circle, there was a monument with a henge bank, brilliant white, and 56 blue stones. That's phase one of Stonehenge, the first monument ever built to the moon. That's so incredible that- because, because if you divide that by two, you get 28 for the average number of days in the lunar, um, lunar um, calendar, 28 days. So you got days and nights, which is fifty-six yes. days and nights of the of which is your fifty-six. 
But five year, the five-year cycle is very important in the number 56 at Stonehenge. So in five years, you have 12 lunations, and that takes you to the nearest decimal of 5 times 29.5 times 12, which gives 56. So it's really dedicated to the moon. So every five years, we could say, because those blue stones are highly magnetic and aligned to the moon, they relate to these energies coming in. And more than that, that. It's not just about what's out there in space. That circle, which was massive, that 56 blue stone circle, also was aligned to a circular Earth energy pattern that is the harmonic surface pattern of underground water. So we have the Earth energies resonating to the underground water. It's a set beneath an aquifer, Stonehenge, which also relates to the moon itself. And when we get the number 56, according to Gerald Hawkins, which uh, Richard mentioned earlier, it's 19 years, 19 years, 18 years equals 56. And that relates to the moon's metonic cycle when it's the year of the high moon. And the year of the high moon is the longest night in the moon's metonic cycle, a bit like the opposite of the longest day, which is the summer solstice. Wow. Oh, my God, that is mind-blowing. <laughs> so, you know, so hang on, hang, hang on, David, hang on, hang on. So this means, to my way of thinking, we're sending a message to the moon. We get a set of responses that, A, talk about our technology, speed of light, and then they talk about the most celebrated, ancient, sacred monument on the planet that everybody now knows is associated with celestial astronomical observations, specifically the sun and the moon, and they give us a number which, as Marie has just laid out, unfolds into deep, deep understanding in deep human time going back thousands of years of things that even the current generation uh, has no idea about. In other words, whoever we're talking to seems to know the human condition, the human species, our real hidden history like almost nobody contemporaneously does here on earth, which to me is an incredible affirmation of what I call the family model of ETs. In other words, we're not talking to aliens. We're talking to someone intimately connected with the human race itself. They just don't happen to live here anymore. It's, it's, it's remarkable what she just said, because you're saying Stonehenge won, Maria, had 56 blue stones. Yes, yeah, so they weren't Aubrey Hulls. Okay, let so me ask another old. dumb question, David. Hang on, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, what happened to them? Because back in the 50s and 60s, there were the holes, but no stones. So where where did the stones go? That's, that's a really good question. Uh, what happened was you had Stonehenge phase one, then 500 years later, according to uh, Orthodox archaeology, the blue stones were uprooted and the sarsens were imported and then the Stonehenge that you recognize was constructed. And there was the blue stones were then made into a stone circle uh, inside of that sarsen ring. So it's about changing the design. Oh, so they, so they move the same stones but into an inner ring as opposed yes. to out by the... Uh by the uh, bank, the artificial horizon. Yes. 
Exactly. They they redesigned Stonehenge 500 years later. Okay, here's another dumb question. Why? Well, I think uh, yeah, I mean that is uh, the million dollar question because I think what they were they were doing they wanted to change and bring in more different types of stone. So we have the blue stones which came 170 miles away from the Preseli Mountains uh, in Wales, and then we had the import of the massive Sarsen stones. It, 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 and they again those huge grey lichen encrusted yes. monoliths. Well, they, yes, uh, exactly. I mean, they, again, they are highly polished. I mean, you're looking at Stonehenge years later, so they were highly polished stones. And the chalk bank was highly polished as well. It had reflective properties as well. It, so we will look at, into that later. So Stonehenge was a brilliant, dazzling monument back in the day. So, and can you tell us compared to ancient Egypt and the Great Pyramids dating that Stonehenge and the Druid circles are much older, is that correct, or older than Egypt? The phase one of Stonehenge predates uh, Egypt. It goes to 3100 BC, and if not prior to that as well, because carbon dating taken from Stonehenge bluestone socket went back to 7,000 BC one carbon dating. It's just the archaeologists chose the, mm. the earlier, later date uh, rather. So compared to ancient Egypt, uh, it's, it's much, much older. And the Druids, incidentally, it's a wrong timeline. They are from the Celtic period of 700 BC. So they're much, much later, the Druids. Although oh, you okay. did have, so you're talking about a different era. <laughs> well, this is important, Maria, because when we go to the response from Amuamua, which is going to lead us to the absolute perfect royal cubit, I, I want to ask you when we come back if there was a megalithic cubit or was it just a megalithic yard, as Alexander Psalm had has That's not. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. A lot of yeah, information, I'm, I'm lots of numbers. I understand, David. The, 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 the bottom line is, whoever we're talking to seems to know our language. They seem to know our history. They, they seem, seem to know our ancient history know, that we don't even know. Exactly. So who are they? That's so, because this response is instantaneous. We will be answering, hopefully, some of those questions. On the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. With every thought you think Upon the recitation we're about to sing Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary crap. Calling occupants of interplanetary crap.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Not only that, we apparently are your family. I mean, imagine the human race who thinks we live on this one little speck of dust orbiting an average star 26,000 years from the center of the galaxy, taking 240 million Earth circuits of the sun to go around the galaxy once. Suppose Neil Armstrong, in another coded Emily Dickinson fashion, the night on July 20th of 69 that he landed on the moon and said that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Suppose he was talking in terms of mankind, all our unseen, unheard of, unspoken about cousins who are now, according to these messages, returning signals to Earth to members of the family. With your mind, you have a beautiful and transmit thought energy far beyond the moon. You close your eyes, you Oh. 
One word to paraphrase Pogo. Remember Pogo many years ago? We have met the aliens, and in some way, shape, or form, they turn out to be us. Well, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight for this Christmas night of 2021. David, um, now it's, I think, time to segue into the equally astonishing surprises that uh, yesterday's receptions uh, held, which is we wanted to transmit. I mean, the original idea behind this experiment was we would pick an appropriate, unique astrological time when there was the square of two major planets of the solar system, Uranus and Saturn. In astrology, one referencing concretization, the matrix, reality, the form of our our perception of the way things are. And the other one, Uranus, you know, revolution, caprice, changes, radical, unscripted changes. And they go together in this moment in time as a backdrop in the solar system in terms of spinning celestial bodies orbiting the sun, creating a unique set of hyperdimensional frequencies and energies. And into that matrix, we thought it would be cool to transmit to Oumuamua to see if we could get a response. Well, now is the time for you to tell us what did we get from the transmissions to Oumuamua yesterday afternoon yesterday afternoon and today my measurements using the tools that i've mentioned you know here and tonight which i freeze frame captures of exact frequencies coming from the chirps of the radio plus i'm recording and when i'm capturing a chirp there's at least three to four numbers that appear in just a matter of a second and the first number This is the very first number. You have to understand, I spent a good five years in what you call qubit wars. (laughs) Because everybody has a theory that they've resolved the royal qubit to perfection. And believe me... Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's a qubit? Well, (laughs) it kind of sounds exactly what it is, qubit. Like, so you square it and then you cube it. So if you want to know the volume of a cube and you want to build buildings or temples, such as pyramids and or Holy of Holy, Solomon's Temple, etc. You see, the, the God of the prophets in the Bible is a master measurer. Every prophet is given a project that you're going to build something, whether it's Noah's Ark 300 cubits long um, or it's the Ark of the Covenant, which is two and a half cubits by one and a half by one and a half cubits. That cubit is based on the the inch, and the inch is based on your index finger, the last joint. If you take your last joint of your index finger and put it next to a ruler, you'll see that most humans are pretty much at an inch. 
So it's based on an actual body part. And then you have palms, which are based on fingers, and then you have cubits. So the question in the ancient world is what is the perfect, perfect royal cubit? Because we know the common cubit, which can be between 17 and a half and 18 inches, was for the common builder. But for royal builders, it would be the royal cubit, which was symbolized by elbow to fingertip plus a hand. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel is visited by an angel holding a six-cubit staff, and repeatedly throughout the book of Ezekiel, at least five times, God says a cubit is a cubit plus a hand. So, so God, the God of the prophets, is saying that I only use the cubit plus a hand. But he doesn't use the world, word royal cubit. <clears throat> and this is where a lot of biblical scholars make a huge error and make everything way too short because they're attached to this shorter cubit. Well, an archaeologist named <clears throat> Ron Wyatt found the remains of what he thought was the remains of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. And when, it, when he measured it at 515 feet, I know exactly what that meant. It was, this was on Fox News. It was on every news channel of the world. They said, well, that's too long. That couldn't be Noah's Ark. What a bunch of retards because they don't know. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a technical term <laughs> for academia? Retards? They, they don't read Ezekiel. It's so spelled out for you five times. You don't use the common cubit. So you use the cubit plus a hand. So when, when, you t- when you understand that Amu, we sent this message to Amuamua, and this is the first number that shows up on my screen. And, and there's a reason that the number that shows up on my screen is the square of two royal cubits. Now, why is it the square of two? Because... In Peter Lemizuri's book, The Great Pyramid Decoded, a, a measurement of two royal cubits appears in over 15 places in the Great Pyramid, making it the most common single repeating measurement in the entire complexity of the pyramid. And in fact, when if you go to my item number five, before we go to item number one, which is iconoclastic, if you go to item number five, you'll okay, see... I'm there that when the rulers were discovered, they, they found 14 rods. One of them included a double cubit, meaning a two-cubit rod. There's a reason for a two-cubit rod, and that's because it's, it's such a common measurement. But the other thing is, notice the rulers range between 20.6 and 20.83 inches, meaning that the, the Egyptians themselves who invented the rods did not know the absolute royal cubit because even builders today, when you make a house or you make a building downtown, we don't resolve things to perfection. We're, we're not that perfect. So I spent years doing this to try to find the absolute, absolute perfect royal cubit, which comes to 20.601 inches, by the way. So, so when I... When I, when I took the, Peter Lemizuri's final, final measurement for the Great Pyramid's height to apex, to the Pyramidian, of 480.69 feet, it, when you divide 480.69 feet times 12 inches divided by 20.601 inches, you're exactly at 280 cubits. There's not a penny left over, not a single decimal left over. 
And no other cubit can do that. Not one other cubit can do that. So when you come back to, to Noah's Ark and, and, and Ron White's final measurement of 515 feet, guess what? If you take, if you take 300 cubits for Noah's Ark times 20.601, first you get golden number in inches, 6,180.3. Now note that golden number is 6180339887. So you're looking at 6180.3 in inches. Hmm. Now that's remarkable because that's how perfect the 20.601 inch royal cubit is. Divide that by 12, you're 515.025 feet. That's wrong. That's his Wyatt's final measurement on the remains of Noah's Ark. That would mean the God of the prophets used the cubit I'm talking about, 20.601 inches. So let's go to my item number one. And this was the first frequency that I captured, which is the square of two 20.601 inch royal cubits. And why okay, now wait, 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 let me interrupt again. Mm-hmm. We've had two, actually tonight we've had three, transmissions to Oumuamua. The mm-hmm. first was December 4th, which we got responses, but nothing like this. The first real transmission, which we advertised because of the square of Uranus and Saturn, and because of the moon moving in the geometry as well, on Christmas Eve last last afternoon, yesterday afternoon, we sent out about a half an hour of coded transmissions from from uh, Jimmy's antenna, and the first number you got back was this royal cubit equation, which is perfect. So you well, no, see-, this, see this raises a really important question because remember I've been talking about family, family, family. I did not know until we had extensive conversations over the last two days how deeply immersed you were in the so-called Cubit Wars. It's almost like, David, whoever is out there sent you a specific message to you, to your research, to a member of the family. I I was thinking the same thing. Would we see this on your radio? Was this meant... For me to see, and that I would click my meter and freeze frame it. <laughs> it's 1697. Now watch how perfect this is. 1697.62, because all the other numbers they send me, Richard, are all the other cubits of every culture in the world who use cubits. But the first one I get is the mother of all cubits. So and which you devoted a major chunk of your research life to trying to figure out. Yeah, because nothing could resolve, because there's two measurements of 280 cubits. Now, the other one is, before we go to this absolute iconoclastic number, let's go to the um, <clears throat> the item number six from the Dead Sea Scrolls, Temple Scroll. What's amazing about Temple Scroll and the Dead Sea Scrolls is very much like the um, Shroud of Turin. It was printed with three-dimensional ink. So it's not printed flat like with a a pen and ink. It's some type of advanced technology that printed Temple Scroll. Like an embossing? Like they they don't understand how it could have been done because they barely could figure out how to do it today. 
So what's interesting in Temple Scroll is the God of Moses tells Moses there's three courtyards, and in the innermost courtyard is the Holy of Holies, which you'll make 280 cubits. Now, if we do 280 cubits times 20.601 inches, we're at the exact height of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And you go, wait a minute. This is the God of Moses giving us the measurement for the height of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And the Great Pyramid of Egypt is not Egyptian. And, And if you go back to your rulers and you wonder why the Egyptian people could not get a straight cubit to inch ruler because they were all different, it tells you they didn't build the thing because if they did, they would know 20.601 resolves it perfectly. And none of their ruler, none of their rulers were the same. Imagine picking up 14 different measuring rods and telling workers to go to work and the measurements are all different. By a little amount. They would have one heck of a mess. So let's go back to item number one, understanding how perfect 20.601 inches, because it also resolves Chichen Itza perfectly um, without any leftover numbers, the, the El Castillo in Central America. Now, you have to understand how hard this is to do because there is no other cubit that would resolve the Great Pyramid's height with no leftover numbers. So why did they send me the square of, which means I took 1697.62, you can see it on my meter, so I take the square root which comes to 41.202, da, 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 da. Now, if I divide that by two, because it's two, we know it's two cubits, you get 20.601 inches for your <laughs> cubit. Do you understand that people who are listening, do you understand this? The, the chances of this being mumbo jumbo on the radios, nobody on earth today in the world of cubit wars even knows this number. Because they're all stuck on all kinds. Go Google Royal Cubit. You're going to see so many different numbers. You're going to go, which one is the right number? Is it, is it Wikipedia? Is it Britannica? Is it this guy's article here? They're all fighting over it. Okay, before we go further, I want to go back to Maria. Maria, welcome to the party. What are your thoughts on this? Yes, it's, uh, it's truly remarkable because it's about the past, the present, and the future, I think, because it's, it, it's going beyond time because whoever has been answering back, as it were, knew, as you mentioned previously, the history of Stonehenge. But when we look at the relationship of Stonehenge to the moon's metonic cycle, the longest night of uh, the moon's cycle, the year of the high moon, is coming up in 2025 so i think that that year may be significant Hmm. for stonehenge and and humanity that number is when a bunch of other stuff you just said 2025 that's peter lamazurier's prediction in the pyramid time clock of the total collapse of the materialist civilization he's saying 2025 Plus or minus three years. That that's in his time clock, by the way. Well, you know that's also supposed to be the year of the end of the so-called Kali Yuga, the Vedic cycles that are on the processional cycle of the physical modulation of the physics by planet Earth. So we're yeah, getting. And Gene Dixon said the second coming of Christ is 2025, and there, there's another psychic who's very famous who said something about 2025 being the. The, the great messianic return. 
So that's amazing. In and other words, so, go ahead, go ahead, Maria. I was going to say, and, and also at, at Stonehenge, you know, if you were at the centre of the monument, the the moon would move around, uh, depending, you know, where you stood, as it were, and so that moon also affects the underground waters at Stonehenge. Everything will become active and alive during that year. So I think it, like I said, I think it's very important in terms of what we're doing to look at that time frame. So we, we could be looking at numbers relating in terms of Stonehenge to the, to the increase in the physics, the background physics coming up to a peak or a nodal point or a you know, a, a time of enhancement when all kinds of amazing things energetically uh, will become possible. Yes. Do you know, Maria, if if um, Stonehenge builders used just a megalithic yard, or did they use a royal cubit or any cubit? To, to the best of my knowledge, it was uh, Alexander Tom did the, the most accurate survey of Stonehenge, and he was using the 2.72 megalithic uh, yard. So I'm not sure if it was, it relates to a royal cubit, because that's what I'm familiar with. Right, yeah, no, it is a megalithic yard. I just wondered, because it's so much older than the pyramid dating, if, if there was a royal cubit back then or not, because... The, when I checked my meter, my, my screen grabs and my frequencies coming through the radios, and I did the same square rooting for two cubits, I was able to identify cubits from all over the world, in, in the ancient world. And that's because they all disagree. What, what's amazing <laughs> even about the, what's called the rabbinical cubits, I found two rabbinical cubits, which they sent me. And then today... I also found a, um, oh my God, I found so many cubits, Richard. I mean, I, I sent them all to Kinthea, but I, I don't think she put up the images of the screen grabs of the frequencies. But I can see we've got the numbers here. For example, I got a two rabbinical cubits, and the degree of accuracy is better than 99.9%. I mean, that's incredible because... The rabbis disagree with each other on the rabbinical cubits. And then, of course, your Egyptian royal cubit rods all disagree with each other between 20.6 and 20.83 inches. And I've got lots of responses where you take the square root. And, why, and, and the question is, why the square root? And one of the things I found is these radios... For example, they won't produce a frequency. Like most speakers, if you un understand frequency response of speakers, they generally start at around 40 hertz. 37 hertz would be a good speaker, whereas headphones can pick up 20 hertz nicely, which is the bottom of cognitive human hearing. Mm -hmm. So, But the other reason is what do you do with the measurement when you build a temple? Well, you square it to build, for example, a holy of holies, right? And you, when you build the pyramid base, you square it, right? And if you know about squaring the circle, then again, you square it and you square the circle. So there, therefore, the idea of taking a measurement and them giving me the square of two of these cubits is because 
two cubits, again, was found in over 15 places in the Great Pyramid. You, you never used one cubit, even though that was a, that was the measurement unit. There, there wasn't much in the pyramid that measured in at a single cubit, but there was lots that measure at two cubits. Now, it's also interesting, according to to Lemessurier's measurements in the pyramid, the 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 measurements of two cubits all varied very slightly. So he's rounding them off himself, even though in the end he's he's much closer to twenty point six oh one, but he's not a hundred percent there. And he, he never actually resolved the height of the pyramid perfectly, perfectly, perfectly the way 20.601 is. But why, again, does the God of the Bible, you see, it use the same, the 20.601 inch cubit that resolves the pyramid? Because the king's chamber is the same measurement as, as what was called the tabernacle and the holy place. So you had the, you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was inside a holy of holies that was 10 by 10 cubits. The queen's chamber base is 10 by 10 cubits, and its height is 11 cubits. Now, the, the, the king's chamber is the same measurement as what was called the holy place, which is 10 by 20 cubits. Well, it's, a, it's identical. If you understand that God, the, the God of the prophets used the 20.601-inch the, the 20 cubit, which would mean the pyramid is, is not Egyptian at all. And that's why they didn't find any hieroglyphs inside of it. Hmm. So again, going back to who sent the response to our radios from Amuamua, and Amuamua is his golden ratio functions that we previously mentioned on your show, its closest approximation to Earth to one astronomical unit, which is an Earth-Sun distance, was one to six. 0.18, which is golden number. And, and, and so therefore, the fact that 300 cubits times 20.601 is golden number to perfection in inches, you, would, you could draw a line in the conclusion that we're in touch with probably the master architect. I mean, it, let's just put it that way. It's, it, it's, there's nobody else that would know these numbers and to send me these numbers in absolute perfection. There's nobody mm. else. Well, Maria said something a moment ago I thought was very interesting. She said these messages appear, if I, if I heard you correctly, Maria, to be referencing the ancient past, deep time of human history, the present, and <clears throat> the future. And, of course, David, you have laid out in other shows – that there is a deep connection between the Giza Plateau, the Great Pyramid, its measurements, and the Vesica Pisces on which the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. tonight stands in relation to an exact measurement compared to the Great Pyramid. So we're looking at past, present, and where the hell is all this going? Well, the fact that it's even coming in on the radios is, is so far beyond chance. We've we got to get past the idea that these are just random numbers appearing on this frequency meter. We've we got to get way past that. We, we, we're at the point now where we got the speed of light. We got a number that gave us the, the, the 56, which Maria um, really, really uh, I'll tell you what, hold it there because we're at the top of the hour. My guests this morning are too numerous to mention. 
We will call them by their first names, David, Maria, and John, and Ron, and Michael, and uh, Keith is with us. Uh, and Thea is taking a wonderful Christmas night off. This seems to be very appropriate because we're talking about wonders. Not only that we can see the trajectory of a muamua, but wonders that we can see in our own history, in our mathematics, in our deep time identity of who we really are. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. On this Christmas night, 2021, we shall return. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com. Christmas, among other appellations, involves the relationship of the celestial and humankind, the Christmas star, and all the wonders. I mean, my first uh, planetarium shows, my, my first radio show at Christmas, when I was a curator in the museum there in Springfield, involved the story of the Christmas star. Tonight we're talking about celestial communication from some other celestial body, civilization, star system, a federation of star systems, a panoply of other relations to the human race, answering in the deepest, most important measures of science the science of number and measurement and geometry. Truly, a night and a star of wonder.
And welcome back, everyone. Okay, um, let me let me do one thing before we get back into our conversation. I have got Michael's uh, 432 uh, tonal um, part of the Amuamua message, and I'm going to do this in real time to see. You Richard? I, yeah. Um. You know, I got an email from David, and I'm just very curious because I don't know what it entailed, but he said that um, that they just added the song that you're about to play, Morningstar, to the transmission. And he said they got a massive response, and I've not got a chance to talk to him. I think that might be important, you know? Hmm. Now, you got this from David Sarita? Yes. Okay, David, let me let me see if I can turn this up. We can, I can, I need to get past the commercial. There are commercials on this thing. Okay. All right. Let me see. Here we are. This is Michael Hill on the electric guitar in the A of 432, which we sent to Oumuamua yesterday afternoon and this afternoon. It's called Morning Star. Wow, that is cool. So that's what Muamua was listening to this afternoon and yesterday afternoon. Wow. Michael, that's amazing. Well, well, thank you. I mean, in light of what we've been talking about for the last hour, you know, family, cousins, distant relatives, people who used to be here and now aren't any longer, but maybe coming back, it gives a whole new meaning to the idea of getting the band back together.
Understand that that was coded in this digital language of the Amuamua transmission. All I can say, Michael, is if somebody lands on your front lawn tonight and wants your autograph, give it to them. Hey, Richard. I got my Sharpie ready. Yeah, who is this? Ron? Oh, oh this is Ron. Yeah, I, sorry. Uh, could I stick in a word about cubits? Yeah, by all uh, means. I, yeah, I, I, uh, a cubit, and Maria can either tell me I'm full of feathers or <laughs> nod her head uh, with this because she uh, – the, uh, I love the way she says Stonehenge. By the way, that's I wish everybody pronounced it that way. Uh, the uh, cubit is an organic measurement, and I think that I noticed that's kind of missing. It's not the same thing as a hard measurement, which is like you know putting lines on a on a stick or something. They would do that, but the reason that it varied a lot was that it was important that it represent humanity. In other words, it's derived. The word uh, the word cubit comes from the Latin in it for a word for elbow. So I guess everybody kind of knows what the measurement. Yeah, I think we lost Ron. His phone does this; it cuts out after so many minutes. Anyway, but it's a perfect segue because John, I want to come to you now. Um, talk about how you've been trying to decode what we've been sending you, which is both the recordings of the December 4th chirps. And then when I recorded digitally, you know, direct from the radio into the computer, no microphone, and I sent those to you, you noticed immediately that there is a very interesting difference in the tonal frequencies of the chirps that we got earlier in the month, December 4th, and the, and the um, you know, I, I don't know what you'd even call them. They're, 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 they're a very different tonality in terms of yesterday and, and today's uh, uh, transmissions back, uh, according to my recordings. I'm back. Oh, there you are. Okay, you want Sorry, to finish? Sorry, yeah. yeah I- yes. Uh, there's another organic measurement. Whenever I speak uh, for 19.5 seconds, my phone kills. <laughs> so, That's uh, them, yes. Yeah, I, I must be. Anyway, yeah, because I, I I, this is not a long, nerdy disc. Uh, dissertation. It's just that none of those other measurements, and certainly not the metric system, are based on the human body. And I wonder if there's some importance in that. 
because I mean, even very ancient stuff that is uh, where the people doing it were theoretically considerably different in stature and even proportions than we are, if the official models are right. Uh, it just occurred to me that the um, there's this block of red ochre, which is you know like what they used for chalk or paint or a lot of other things for much of history. Uh, that is very famous for being the oldest inscription known in the world. It's supposed to be like, they're guessing like 35,000 years old, and it's got these scratches on it that make these nice uh, tetrahedral shapes. Uh, did we lose Ron again? Lost him again. Darn. Okay, John, uh, before he gets back, <laughs> um, talk about your modeling of these frequencies and the information they contain because it's very complimentary and it's kind of like the the machine language we need to apply to this because otherwise poor david is not going to get any rest or sleep for the next 10 years (laughs) yes um i i urge everyone out there listening if you haven't seen the movie contact you should watch it it's very worth your while and of course has to do what we're with what we're doing tonight and in that movie uh jody foster uh, receives a, a signal she recognizes as not random noise, but it has structure. And then they go about um, you know, filtering this signal and um, using the different tools to find out that it's multi-layered. And just like you're, you know, when you watch TV, you're receiving a signal out of the air that is it has a main carrier wave and then within that or it's like a folder on your desktop and then you open the folder and there's six other folders and you open that and there's two um so this signal could be very multi-layered and in fact in the movie contact it contained pictures and instructions on how to build this hyperdimensional uh you know traveling device yeah so when I heard the um, the December 4th chirps that uh, were playing on David's radio during the show, it's an 18-second, if you look at my item number one, it's 18-second uh, of these chirps. And this, what this is telling us, like David said, this is not, this is not random noise. This is... Is this playable on the website? Or is that just a graphic? Uh, that's a graphic, but if you want to go down to... I did make a video of the December 4th chirps and then slowed it down. And then I played the chirps from yesterday, December 24th. Uh, two samples of that. So that would be item number... Is that uh, 17? 17, that's right. You can listen okay, to Okay, so this is John's, um, you know, uh, frequency analysis, and he's got a visual spectral plot there, and this is what you get when you listen to it uh, in real time. This is an intro. Thank you. 
Okay, tell us what we're listening to. These are the chirps from December 4th that David received after we had sent a signal to Oumuamua. So this is the original raw signal? Correct. And this is now slowed down. By how much? Well, it's on a scale of 1 to 100, and it's set at minus 95. So it's slowed down quite a bit. Almost 100 times. Yeah. Now, what we're supposed to listen to is all of the stuff going on in these slow down chirps. And this has not been processed at all. So if we sent this to an audio lab, they would use signal processing and various filters and effects to see what exactly composes all of the, the waves that you're seeing and you know what's contained in there. Because like I said, it could be like a TV signal where you have the carrier wave and you have the subcarrier waves uh, you separate the audio from the video. And video, there's the dark and the light and the color. So there's all of this information. And I think you see that better on the, uh, let's see, my items number, uh, on the Hertz waveforms. <clears throat> so item And number, what number would that be? Item number five, six, and seven. This is the, the waveform of December 4th in Hertz. And then number six is zoomed in 50%. Uh, so you can see. Oh, look at that complexity. Yes. It really looks like language, David. You were right in the beginning. It looks like vocal waveforms that I've seen. Like, yeah. like what they used to call voice prints. When, when yeah, voice like prints voice. were... There was a time like 20 years ago when voice prints, voice print analysis was a big deal. It was kind of like, you know, a, an academic obsession. That's what this stuff looks like. It looks like voice prints. It does. Wow. It's language. It's definitely language. Like, like there's multi layers to these. I mean, we're getting the, the sacred frequencies and the royal cubit and the moon and Stonehenge and the speed of light. But there's more there. Yep. There, there's, yep. There's... Which is why, here comes the pitch, we need more help. We need funding so we can hire the right computer algorithms, the right software, the right experts, and or we need gifts of, you know, in kind. We need expertise, so we'll donate your time to do this. We need computer algorithms, donate, you know, for a company that makes this software, you know, ship us a kind of a, you know, beta test. Uh, we'll put it to good use, and we'll give you very nice responses in terms of global visibility. We need help because we're just literally, old cliche, we're obviously scratching the surface, as you can see from these plots, to this kind of like Chinese puzzle box of nested, nested, nested information in information in information. Whoever we're talking to is a very sophisticated listener and responder and they know us they're somehow part of us it ain't aliens it's 
family. Which brings up last night's reception that you sent me last night, and I didn't have a lot of time to work on it, but um, very different sound, completely different. And my first impressions were that the December 4th chirps were language and multi-layered. And last night, the December 24th signal was more like a Morse code. It was scaled down and almost like a code key was the first thing. Do you you have a way to easily play some of that? Because I don't have it handy on this computer. Uh, Yeah, it's at the end of the... The video you were just playing. Oh, it's, it's, it's at the very end. Okay, so let me it's scroll the last way, 30 seconds or so. way down. All right, it's 435, so I'll back it up. Here, let's try this. Uh, I didn't back it up far enough. Okay, so. Maybe the last 30 seconds, perhaps? 45 seconds, maybe? Um. That's weird. You know how, have you ever been underwater and heard people talking above the water? What you just played kind of reminds me of that because, you know, you you basically have sound waves slow down and then you have electromagnetism slows down when it moves through water by about almost 25%. So... Yeah, this message could definitely be meant for more than humans, like Spock said in Star Trek Hey, what if we got, (laughs) Richard, why don't we play this to dolphins and see what they answer back to the dolphin experts who understand dolphin language? That'd be incredible. Hey, John, I I can't get it to play for some reason. Do you have it there? We need to hire a dolphin and a dolphin linguist. Because the dolphin chatters so fast, they yep. might be able to interpret these super fast chirps, and they might tell the dolphin trainer, hey, th- th- I, w- this is what I just heard, because they know how to talk. Yeah, to but dolphins. I'm not so sure that we know how to interpret dolphin language to this degree of sophistication. No, no, like a dolphin. You know what, though? You know, Jonathan Stewart-Reed from Cymoscope, you know, cymatics, that's what they're becoming famous for is developing – a cymatic language to communicate with dolphins. Uh, well, be... Michael, that's another idea. Is like, like we know that the number I got on my meter is the square root of, of two perfect royal cubits. I mean, that's the huge response. And it, it's the only royal cubit that resolves Noah's Ark and, and the height of the Great Pyramid to absolute perfection. There's no way that our responder is some amateur because because an amateur radio operator somewhere wouldn't even know this number. There's, and then if the dolphins were given, okay, so w- once you understand what these numbers are, Michael, you can you can create a cymatic image of the numbers we're getting because you mm-hmm. just have to slow them down. Right you on. just move your decimals over and then look at what the cymatic language is. There a language there? I mean the. There's a lot of experiments we can build around our response, but we're getting a perfect mathematical response. Like I said, when I went through all my numbers um, today, I'm seeing the square root of two royal cubits of the the Muslim royal cubit, the ancient the ancient Hebrew royal cubit. I'm seeing the Sumerian royal cubit. I've seen them all today. Mm. It's like they sent me all of them. <laughs> 
the square root of two. Okay, let's let's all the let us stand back and kind of think about that. And I'm 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 going to your direct email to see if I can play this so we can hear the difference. Let me try that first. Okay. This is so bizarre. John, I can't get your video to play the sound of the chirps. You know, the ones I sent you. Hmm. Do you have it there? Yeah, um, I've got it queued up. Okay, good, good. Let me get out of this. That is so bizarre. Yeah, we want to hear the ones you got December 24th. Yeah, yesterday I, I sent him a one gig file of an hour of recording started just before we started the transmitting oh that's very different sounding without a microphone let's listen this first sample is much slower very measured and then I added about 20 seconds of another sample because it's much busier I'm just going to fast forward a little bit to the next uh, signal. You can hear the very dramatic difference between uh, yeah, you're, you you've cut out the speaker on the radio, and 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 maybe may, we'll find out whether that we're losing something by cutting out the speaker on the radio. I mean, yeah, but we shouldn't. Yes. Not if well, not, again, we don't know how they're doing this, right? So, it, uh, uh, the way a speaker works, it's a coil and a magnet and a paper cone. So it's the, uh, you know, your you're, it's very sensitive, just like a microphone is, to to mag- like you can take a frequency meter and it will read non-acoustic magnetic wave of an audible frequency just as well as it can read a sound wave, and and so they're they're both detectable on a meter. So that means if by eliminating the speaker we may or may not have lost something or we might get other data that's at a deeper level and we need both. We, we need it with the speaker and we need it without the speaker because there, there could be a, multi, a multi-dimensional message here like audio and picture separate, like Jonathan's saying, and also the numerical data, numerical data itself, which we now know corresponds to Stonehenge and hmm. the Great Pyramid and so on. There might be 3D data. It just kind of occurred to me, and I I thought to myself, I need to rewatch that movie Contact, which I did today. And uh, and yes, they did. They had these instructions for building this transdimensional traveling cube thing, and um, sure enough, they they couldn't figure out what the pictures, how they lined up, and until they moved him in 3D space and they, they sort of put him on the side of a cube mm-hmm. and they all fit together. And a cube, well, of course, cube is, is a double is tetrahedron. And a cube is a double tetrahedron. It's back to the 
fundamentals right. of tetrahedral hyperdimensional physics. We need help, guys. We need we are we are sitting on a treasure trove. I mean, I've got several gigabytes I've sent around. No one has time to go through all these signals except a machine. So we need machine assistance. If you're a software programmer, give us a call. If you have money so we can hire them, give us a call or donate. If you have, you know, an actual algorithm that can do this, give us a call or send us an email. The contact info is there on the website, etc. We're at the at the precipice of something so amazing because it's very obvious to me. And I want to get back into this difference between the sound and the electronic record because I I had a thought this afternoon that's kind of in line with what you're saying. Um, This could be a very important turning point in what we're doing. You're on the other side of midnight, everyone. Christmas night, 2021. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we're talking about a very special night. The night we made contact with someone. Side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. and Placido Domingo in O Holy Night. Christmas 2021. Welcome back, everyone, on the panel. Um, David, I I really want to pick up on this idea that you uh, enunciated a few moments ago, that there is a very substantive, qualitative, and quantitative difference between the signals you're recording as an audio microphone from the speaker in the radio through a microphone to a digital track. And what I did was to wire directly with Keith's help from the speaker jack on the radio directly electrically into the computer to record as a digital file. And John has made it very clear that these are very different kinds of signals. And I'm just wondering if it's because of something you said a moment ago, that literally when we're listening to the speaker, if it isn't RF, if it's not being exercised or energized by uh, an electric voltage instilled in the coil making the speaker vibrate, if in fact it's the reverse, it's something like a tractor beam, which literally is mechanically vibrating the speaker generating a residual current which then is picked up by my computer as a as a a click i'm just wondering if you know we're back to McLuhan. the medium is a major part of the message well you have to remember the the first radio of tesla is really an inductor transmitter so if you have a one coil that's that's powered and it's transmitting, another coil near it can receive with the other ones transmitting and you can register that. So so that's inductance and, and that's primitive radio. And, and that may be what's going on here. These speakers may be being inducted by a force 
it's actually coming from another dimension. And so, well, let me hang on. Let me let me let me pick up on that because I I noticed something, and if it wasn't tonight, and if I hadn't mentioned her at the top of the show, you know, my dear Robin, who is not here, I'm wondering, right. is she really not here? Because I got to tell you something really weird. Remember how you told me weeks ago that when you take the radio around your house, it only works in certain locations. Mm-hmm. Amplify that just a little bit. How did you find that out? Well, I found out because when I did a transmission with my radio in my little podcasting office that, that doesn't have Wi-Fi because I'm on a cable here. I don't have any Wi-Fi, so I don't have any radio frequencies come from a Wi-Fi antenna. And I walked into the house with my radio chirping. It stopped. And then I got a drink of water. Then I came back into my office and it started up again. So that's the first way I found out that it was, it was seemed to be bonded to the location of where I did my first transmission. And then I would bring the radios into the house in the summer and I'd leave them on all night on both frequencies, 432 and 144.1. And they were dead silent all night. And then when we did our first trans test to a Muamua, for the first time ever, my radios worked in the house. They were receiving the the responses in the house, and that had never happened before. Hmm. So, so yeah, did Jimmy send the picture of Robin and my wife Crystal out on, uh, to a Muamua? Was that part of it? Or I think that was it? part of it. Yeah, he he told us both that he was going to encode that because I asked David because of a suspicion. I have lots of suspicions. Sometimes I can act on them, sometimes I can't. So I asked David to get a good picture of Crystal, and I sent Jimmy an equally good picture of Robin, and I had them encoded to send both to a Muamua, and in the coming week we will send them to the moon. Well, tonight something bizarre, actually last night something bizarre happened. When when Keith helped me get the, all the wiring, you know, when he sent me stuff from Amazon so I had the right connectors and the right plugs, and I can go from the radio, which was sitting in the pyramid, <clears throat> through a cable, very long cable, to the computer in the library, got the right file, got the right software, QuickTime, et cetera, and got it all set up. Yesterday afternoon, just before the noon transmission that Jimmy had set up, because there was such wind and rain and then turned to snow in Prescott that he was afraid if he lifted the antenna and tried to track during the night a muamua, the wind would blow the antenna over. So he set it fixed at the horizon. So as a muamua rose through the beam, actually the earth rotates, the signal, both the direct <clears throat> and then the forward scatter from the earth would amplify the power and we would be transmitting an effective uh, about half a million, you know, effective watts radiated toward a Muamua as the the uh, invisible, you know, object 2.5 billion miles away, leaving at about 60,000 miles an hour, drifted through the beam of the antenna. And as you can see, if you look at the video, which is my last item for radio pictures tonight, the wind is blowing, the antenna is bouncing around, the trees are blowing. It was a very wise thought that Jimmy had to fix it at the horizon and then have a, about a half-hour transmission of uh, to a muamua because it doesn't really matter when we send. 
it's when we receive. So you record everything from the moment you start transmitting through the afternoon and then the evening, uh, which, which, which I did. That's how I accumulated many gigabytes of data, even in one afternoon. So I'm, I'm moving the radio on, on, on Friday morning around the house trying to find where I will get a transmission. And I put it in the pyramid, nothing. I tilted it flat down in case it was polarized like the signal was the other night, nothing. I moved it over to the little table next to the couch, nothing. I took it into the kitchen, took it into the bedroom, took it everywhere, nothing, nothing. And then I thought, based on an experiment I did a few days ago, I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if, and I took the radio and I put it down of all the places in the house, I put it down on the coffee table next to Robin's picture. And it started chattering. Wow. And it oh has not God. stopped chattering except for very strange periods of total quiet. Part of them are recorded, you know, like after this afternoon's transmission, there was a period of deep silence, like nothing. And then before I came down to do the show, it was chattering again, so I recorded some more this evening as we're doing the show. The point is, the only place in the damn house that it would work was next to Robin's picture. And like I think the whole Cubit discussion is for your benefit, I think someone out there was trying to tell me that part of the problem of communicating with people who are no longer here is because of the problem of communicating between dimensions because of some of the Mars data we found of backwards Giza pyramids and, you know, space-time bubbles and phantom zone discussions and all that earlier this fall. In other words, there's such level upon level upon level of data here. We've got to have the right professional help and the right funding so we can move this to the next level. Because, David, I think both of us have been singled out with very personal messages. And one of the things I wanted to ask you yesterday, uh, where we didn't connect, was if you would put the radio next to Crystal's picture to see well, guess what, what we guess get. Well, guess what? The, the place in my house where I get the best reception is is on the second floor right above her shrine where her ashes are in an urn. Oh, my. And that's where I did all my recordings. Oh I never my, thought of it. Oh, my, my, It's right above her shrine. And, in fact, the, the, the night she died, I heard her tap on that glass window, and I literally saw my wife. Um, floating outside above the second story window and it's that window where I have my radios they don't work anywhere else in the house but that window so and that window is right above her shrine right above it so I, I have pictures and flowers and pictures from her of all different ages and the urn with her ashes and a gold frame and pick the gold frame picture of her is near the ceiling so the radios are just hmm. just above that so that's, you know, that is... As Art mind. would say, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, my God. That's incredible. I wanted to also point out, to about, you know, Stonehenge and the circle. If you go to Exodus 3.14, mm-hmm. 
notice that 314 is pi, which is a circle, it begins, and God said to Moses, I am that I am, which is, which is the, the meaning of the tetragrammaton, which is the supreme universal self, which is actually interdimensionally everywhere. So 314, which is the circle, I, I am the circle, is the way I interpret it. Is, is that it's like our idea of God as, as this man sitting on a throne is, is completely obscure. It, it's meaningless because th- there's no there's no there's no person there. It, it's infinite consciousness. It, it's supreme self. But the fact that this is in Exodus three fourteen, which is pi, I find quite amazing. Because then that brings us back to sacred circles and mm. and and cubes. Let me let me ask Maria. Maria, who the heck do you think we're talking to? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really it's really fascinating. And what I thought was, as as David was speaking, you know, you're putting signals out to the moon, uh, etc. Why not to Stonehenge, in one of the holiest of holies, the Great Trilithon there? Well, we'd have to, to, to affect, like, we know how to align between the antenna and the center of the moon bounce would reflect and hit Stonehenge, even though that okay. reflection would cover a whole half of the planet. You could actually detect the signal anywhere. You know what I would Obviously. recommend? I would recommend sending Maria one of these handheld radios, and she goes to Stonehenge, Oh, we, wow, what a good idea. And we just I have went. her we just have her transmit uh I heard the other week when Yeah, I, you just have to play the the transmission through your phone like a, you just hit you you push the call button down at 144.1 megahertz and then you release and you wait 10 minutes and see if you get a response because I've been to Stonehenge. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's off the side of the highway, but but there's not a lot around it. That would be incredible. So, so make sure you email me, Maria. And I'll, we'll send you a radio, and we'll show you this particular radio is very mysterious, right, Richard? <laughs> we, we, it we sure is, because you guys a, kept talking about how you had to condition it. You just described how you transmitted, and then you moved in different parts of the house, and it only worked where you transmitted and all that. Jimmy sent me a factory brand new radio which I opened the box and I put it, I put the battery in, put it in the charger, waited like, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 hours for it to charge. I turned it on at 141, 144.1 meg, and it's chattering away like a magpie. It wouldn't shut up. And I did no conditioning. I did no transmission. And Keith is telling me, well, shift frequencies. And I said, no, I don't want to do anything until I record what it's doing right out of the box. And uh, that I have now done. I've got several gigs worth of data. And now I'm going to change uh, after tomorrow's broadcast I'm, or before it. I'm going to change to 432 and see what I pick up on the other frequency. And then when we do the moon bounce again, I'll do 432, which is a sub-multiple of the diameter of the moon, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll just build up a systematic archive of folks we need analyzing this treasure trove of astonishingly coded interwoven data that we're barely scratching. You know, it reminds me of that great Spock line. 
you know, in the city on the edge of forever, when he says, Captain, you're expecting me to do miracles with stone knives and bearskins. And Richard, maybe we could have Keith simultaneously as Maria is at Stonehenge. I know Keith lives near Washington, D.C. Maybe he could go to the Washington Monument and record. Oh, what a cool – or transmit and then record. Keith, yeah. want to do that? Mr. Morgan. Mr. Morgan. Hmm. Hmm. People keep yeah, dropping – People keep Even dropping in and out tonight. There you are. There you are. Okay. Could I add something real quick? No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, Michael. Keith, did, did you hear what we were proposing? Yes, I did. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to be able to do that. Um, well, not tonight. <laughs> I've got some commitments of things that I have to get done, so I don't know. Well, next few days, a week, two weeks, whatever. I'll look into it. Okay. Okay. What could be more important than getting arrested in front of the Washington Monument with a suspicious <laughs> object? <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's how we make the ABC Evening News. <laughs> Maria, have you ever been in jail? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, explain this. Yeah, one. but she knows how to get into Stonehenge. In fact, uh, it was yes, so fun. I, I, I can I can get private access into the heart of Stonehenge See? as well, so we oh, can wow. we can do that. Wow. And those stones, those stones are have got an electric field around them. I mean, when you put stones in a circle, they're connected to earth ground, so they're they're receiving. Don't forget the water earth. underneath. Don't forget the water. Oh yeah, you got your water and your chalk, and you got yep, yeah. Do you know the story, Richard? Of um, I wonder if Maria knows this. It was in the seventies when this this TV station gets the news gets overtaken, and then this this British man alien comes on and says he's he's uh, Commander Brillen of the Ashtar Command, and he gives this message. To oh, humanity. I remember that. I was in the fifties. Yeah, do you know what's amazing about that? That radio station antenna is sitting at 51 degrees one minute north latitude, the same as Stonehenge, 51 degrees one minute. So I, I worked with Colin Andrews on that case, and he said there's no way to hijack a TV station. You you can't do it. You would you would need you know an antenna with. Well, wait, wait. That that was that was decades before the internet, before any kind of remote control of anything. No, you, in fact, what, but again, what interests me about it is the antenna is at 51 degrees one minute. It was 5, 1, 5, 10 p.m. local British time, so it had the 5, 1, right? Now, remember, if you take if you take 300 cubits for Noah's Ark or 30 cubits for the height of Solomon's Temple, times 20.601 inch, you know, royal cubit inches, you get 515 feet, right? Or 51.5 feet for Solomon's temple, 5151. So 5150, sorry. So that's 51 degrees one minute is is Stonehenge. So it ties into that. You see how Stonehenge's north latitude ties into this same number. Because when you convert your golden ratio inches to feet, you get 51520. So 515025. So, so again, that antenna 
In fact, I can find that for you. It's on YouTube. I mean, this is really amazing. Wait, but you mean someone actually had the presence of mind to record? Oh, yeah. No, the whole thing is recorded. You got the British news going. It's the, um, the Ashtar Command broadcast. Let me see. Ashtar Command Brillin. Okay, this. Um, I'll find. Here it is. Here it is. Found it. Found it. Here it is. 1977. Oh, it's that late. Okay. 1977. I mean, this is it. I'll send this to you in the chat right now. Of course, people can't see this, but this actually happened, and nobody can explain. Well, wait. Is is there actual audio? Oh, totally. Well, can you can you play it? Yeah, here we go. Let me just get, there's a commercial. I just got to zap it. Here it is. Based on one man. This is it. But he says there are conditions. These include stopping the execution of all captured prisoners of war. Do we need to get the mic closer? Is it on a speaker? I'll just turn the volume up. I'll tell you what, maybe, maybe, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll play it in the last break. But send it to me, and I'll play it electronically so we can hear it, because I can barely hear it. But the point it. is, the thing that's interesting about this, in, in similarity to what we're doing, is, is we're getting regular radios that should be used to communicate. Our radios, in a way, are getting hijacked. And once you open the door on these radios, you can't really use them anymore for regular communication. And... You know, you might want to have Colin Andrews on because he knows this story inside and out. I did my own research into the, um, the, 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 you know, the, I mean, this was in the birth of the crop circles, right? This was in the birth of the whole thing. So I think there's something to it. There's, there's something about this. So let me send this to you. And, and interestingly, you're talking about 51 degrees. Uh, the heel stone at Stonehenge is precisely at 51 degrees, which is the moonrise at its mid-swing as well. Is it 51 degrees one minute or just 51 degrees? Uh, 51, I believe. But it's, it's yeah. precisely put there. It was, it was moved uh, to be placed exactly at 51 degrees. And every nine oh, years, the, take- the moon will rise above it. So you take 20.601 inches, watch the math here on your calculator, times 300 cubits for Noah's Ark, you get 6180.3 inches. That's golden number. Mm-hmm. 1 to 1.618033987. You divide that by 12, and you get 515.025. So there's your 51, right? And so... If you if you look in in the the bandwidth of where most of the crop circles appeared, they appear between remember 51 degrees and and arguably 50 minutes is only 10 minutes away from another degree, right? So you're you're between 51 and a half and 52 degrees. And if you go on your your um, if you go on your Google Earth, you'll see all your crop circles were there and Stonehenge. It's at 51 degrees. It's 5118 to be precise. I've just oh yeah, that. digital. When you convert it to 10 bits, yeah, you can take your degrees, minutes, and seconds and convert it to 10 bits. Yeah. Okay, uh, Michael, I think you had something you wanted to add. 
just about everything we're talking about. See, everybody has to be very aggressive because when you have as many panelists, you know, unless you... Oh, no, it's all good. I'm having a ball. What a way to spend Christmas. <laughs> and I'm being educated. Um, but you know what? Look at Avebury and Salisbury Hill. It's the longitude line on planet Earth of 51.428 exactly. 51.428 is one-seventh the way around a circle. If you take 360 and divide it by seven, you get 51.428. What's interesting is you take cymatics and you put a 432-based number math physics, which is 27 hertz, which is exactly four octaves below 432. It makes a perfect seven-pointed star. Wow. Um, the seven-pointed star is forever entangled into the 432 subject because and that same ley line is called uh saint michael and mary's ley line that runs through all that so yes so what i'm saying is if you take a six-pointed star the double tetrahedron it encodes 19.5 but if you take a seven-pointed star it encodes 51.428 and i think it's showing us why all these crop circles are showing up in that specific okay, region. Okay, tomorrow night, I presume you're joining us again, Michael, because we have, uh, um, um, uh, oh, I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, oh, uh, Rick Levine, who is, you know, one of the world's foremost astrologers. When he was on several weeks ago, as we were setting up to do the transmissions and kind of talking about this uh, square between Uranus and Saturn and the moon, mm-hmm. etc. He He hit me with a seven-fold star that is not really generally acknowledged in astrology, but he feels is very important. And I want you guys to, uh, you know, talk about that because your your very disc, your 432 hyperdimensional discs, they have mm-hmm. a seven-star encoded in the quartz or in the imprint or in the graphic or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. matrix you're using. Yes, Yes. Uh, I think it's very important. I think it's showing us, you know, if 19.5 encodes the biggest upwelling of energy, maybe the 51.428 is showing us where they're imprinting information. Hmm. If that makes sense. Well, Salisbury okay. Plain is replete with all these incredible crop circles, which years ago we figured out uh, uh, related to the hyperdimensional physics and a concomitant hyperdimensional technology i'll tell you what hold it there everyone we're at the bottom of the hour one last half hour to go when we come back we're going to try to play this alien vrillin interruption of uh, british radio in 1977 but until then you're on the other side of midnight this is bing crosby and david bowie in another immortal christmas song for this christmas night of 2021 a newborn king to see Our finest gifts we bring can it be? Years from now, perhaps we'll see our finest day of glory. May the day 
Sign of Midnight, Christmas Night 2021, with my very diverse panelists. Um, David, do the setup, because uh, I've got this thing queued. I think I'm, it's going to work if I hit the right button. So what are we going to listen to here? From Britain in 1977, commercial radio during a newscast, right? David? Yeah, they they were looking at at real news, so it was a TV broadcast. Oh, okay. So they're they're seeing this guy reporting the British news, 1977. All of a sudden, the screen goes all fuzzy, and so th- they lost audio and picture. And then this voice comes on saying, "I am Commander Rowan," and he gives this huge warning to humanity about their nuclear weapons and destroying the planet and how the ETs would intervene. And then, you know, it goes on. It's quite a message. And there's this droning beat in the background, like, womp, womp. You're going to hear this droning beat in the background. 
And that, again, the, I actually tried to map the frequency of the droning beat in the background. Ah. And, and at one point, I figured it out. I don't know what I did with that because <laughs> I, I did a lot of work on this piece. But, again, the radio station antenna was the same north latitude as Stonehenge. Okay, this then is the Vrillin interruption. Was this the BBC? Uh, or was it Channel 4? I don't remember. He'll tell you. You'll hear okay, him. okay, because this was the 26th of November, 1977. Let's see if At this 5:10 p.m. local time, which is 5-1 again. Let's see if this works. This is a full three months. Of okay, food. no, we don't want that. See, every time you do this stuff live. Okay, here we go. Settlement based on one man, one vote. But he says there are conditions. These include stopping the execution of all captured prisoners of war, allowing negotiations. In Australia, Mr. Kerry Packer's cricketers are still pleading for high court decision. This is the voice of Kumar, representative of the Ashton Galactic Kumar, speaking to you. For many years, you have seen us as knights and spirits. We speak to you now, kissing the as we have done to your brothers and sisters all over this, your planet Earth. We come to you of the destiny of your race and your world so that you may communicate to your fellow beings that must you must take to avoid the disaster which threatens your world and the beings on other worlds around you. This is in order that you may share and great awakening as the planet passes into a new age of Aquarius. The new age can be a time of great peace and evolution for your race, but only because rulers are made aware of the forces that can overshadow their judgments. Be still now, and for your chance may not come again. All your weapons of evil must be removed. The time of the conflict is now past, and the race of which you are a part may proceed to the higher stages of its evolution if you show yourselves worthy to do this. You have but a short time to learn to live together in peace and goodwill. Small groups all over the planet are learning this, and exist to pass on the light of the dawning new age to you all. You are free to accept the many go as wide as then they run out. Here now, the voice of Rilong, representative of the Ashtar Collective Command, speaking to you. Be aware also that there are many false habits and guides that operating on your world. Okay, it goes on like that for another, how many minutes? Probably another five minutes, but I think we get the idea. So this took over at least one television station. So all the people tuned to that TV station as part of the British broadcasting system, maybe not the BBC itself, but as you know, telecommunications in Britain, instead of hearing the station, which was a very 
powerful VHS station, they heard this broadcast like it overrode the frequency and you could hear the other station competing in the background to be heard. Totally bizarre. Yeah, and the guy's voice is, I, I mapped the frequency of his voice and I actually mapped the frequency of many male speaking voices, including the newscaster. He's way lower in frequency than the way most humans speak. He, you can't touch him. You, you, you can't get a guy to match his pitch, his, his frequency pitch of his voice. So he's not, he's not human. Or if, let's say, he knows the English language, is he part of the breakaway civilization? The English language came around 500 years after Christ, as did the French language. <clears throat> I mean, I did a lot of work on this case to find out. And again, if it was, ask Colin Andrews, because he said if it was some guy who figured out how to hijack the station, it wouldn't even sound like that. Because you can still hear the underlying news broadcaster, and the, the picture was disrupted. You see all these crazy lines going across the TV screen. And you just, there's no way in the world to do it. Colin Andrews will tell you there's no way in the world you can do it. No one could do it today, and no one could do it back then. It so, really sounds kind of like a, a 50 sci fi, you know, movie. The guy's going, oh, we're going to go to Mars now. Yeah, you but know? you need yeah, to think, you can't, you, hang on. You, you can't match his pitch and his voice. If you hold a frequency meter up to your voice, and talk as low as you can. You can't go as low as he's going. You can't. And then the other strange thing about the whole thing is, is there's that droning kind of in the background. There's that droning kind of pulse. And I mapped that pulse. I actually had all the numbers for everything. I'm trying to find the Hmm. freaking file in my computer somewhere. (laughs) I I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Because I did it years ago, and then I, you know, I dropped it. And again, you know, people in ufology, when, you know, I used to lecture at conferences all over the, you know, the country, and, and they, they don't have the mind for... Well, you know, look, that, look, guys, know. let's, let's, let's uh, cut to the chase. Uh, Maria, you're a guy tonight, okay? Um, <laughs> this is, as, as, as uh, you just said, um, Michael, this sounds so cliché from like 1950s movies or television, grade B, you know, monster flicks and whatever. But the messages we're getting now that we got yesterday and we got tonight and we're going to get tomorrow and we got beginning with December 4th, they're so elegant in their purity of just the numbers, just the facts. There's no overlay of science fiction. There's no weird alien voices there's no melodrama it's just things that whoever's sending us these messages knows that they should not know if they are quote aliens and then there's this extraordinary component where the message seems to be tailored to the people who are trying to receive it and listen like david and me And it looks like Why is lost. it so quiet? I, really, everybody's I thinking. I was wondering the same thing. 
Hey, there was some heavy silence there, man. A pregnant pause. Mm. Yeah, they always supposed to come at 20 of or 20 after the hour, and it's 20 of, give or take. So, all right, we've we've got about 20 minutes. What have we not covered, uh, David, in terms of decoding, and what kind of help would you find most appropriate to take this to the next level? Well, firstly, you know, what we haven't covered is all of the other qubits that came in because remember, all these frequencies are chirping really fast. And so the numbers are so similar. And I did, I took the square root and two royal qubits and I matched them to rabbinical qubits, to Hebrew qubits, to, I mean, literally the qubit of, of Central America and also the qubit of the ancient Sumerian. So they were sending me it's almost like they were sending me the square root of everybody's cubic. <laughs> and I haven't gone through all the numbers, but then today I came out here at the seven and a half hour mark from today's transmission, which is the 25th of December, 2021, because that's the speed of light to a moo moo and back. And they were sending me Royal cubit numbers again. And I was just logging them all. And I said, yeah, I know that number. I know that. So they're repeating and repeating to make sure we get the message that this message from Mamuamua is is all the qubits pretty much in existence that are significant. They're sending me back the square of two, two qubits of that particular qubit. So even though the top number that I got is the mother of all qubits because it resolves the Great Pyramid of Egypt to perfection. It resolves Noah's Ark and the archaeological discovery of Ron Wyatt to perfection. It resolves the Chichen Itza El Castillo Pyramid to perfection. So we know that that, that qubit it, it is probably the qubit of the God of the Prophets. It is the qubit of the God of the Prophets. It's the qubit of the builder of the Great Pyramid, the architect, and it's the qubit of the of the builder of the El Castillo Chichen Itza pyramid. So, but then there's, there are lots of other qubits. And so we have to consider all of them. But what amazed me is when I did the math and square rooting is pretty basic. If you want to know how many square inches there are in a square, you just measure one of the sides of the square and that's your square root. That's the root of the square. So basically all, all the, the sender, you know, was doing was giving me this very simple function mm-hmm. of decoding all the qubits in existence. And okay, I okay. Have- so we got about 15 minutes. I want to do the following. I want to list what we think we know tonight at our level of decoding. And if anybody has something additional or they have an objection to the, to the list I'm going to lay out because I haven't written it down, I'm going to do it from memory. So let's throw out the first one. We've got, according to David, a whole bunch of qubit basic ancient history measures uh, of architecture from a multitude of cultures all around the Middle East. Now, the way I would interpret that is this, whoever's sending these messages says this numerical system is part of your history, your multi cultural multinational ancient history planet earth agree disagree and if you do please tell us why 
I think they're signifiers. Meaning? Well, I don't know if I can do it in another 19.5 seconds, but I'll try. <laughs> the, uh, no, I think it's a representation of the particular humans that they want to communicate with. They know that you're those guys if you're using that um, uh, putative royal cubit. Because they're all based on proportions of the human body, and since everything we found on Mars and everywhere else indicates that they had an organic perception of things around them, that things were measured and built with proportion in mind rather than numbers. But since this... Did we lose Ron again? Yeah, the royal cubit, it's symbolic elbow to fingertip plus a hand. Where Again, I'm not getting any common cubits. I'm only getting what are known as long cubits and royal cubits. So also remember that 144.1, the, a monopole that transmits 144.1s is actually the Hebrew long cubit, 20.46 something inches. Here's a message. Thank so, you. So that's important to understand there, right there, right? Yeah, now, I what about it, go, go ahead. Intent, David, when these messages are sent, are you including your intentions? Because thought. Oh no, I, I I had no intention that they were going to send me back cubits at all. Well, no, uh, I'm it, thinking we are trying to communicate with you. We want to speak with you we want you to answer we're listening we're here you know that kind of intent along with the transmission well i think you're right the most important thing is whoever they are that are sending this perfect math back they are somebody that understands the 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 perfection of the most ancient structures on this planet like they're not giving me the math for, you know, Macy's and um, <laughs> Trump Tower. <laughs> they're, they're giving us the math for the, the very religious, spiritual structures. Because the God of the Prophet gave, it's not just Noah's Ark, it's the Ark of the Covenant, it's the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, Solomon's Temple. Ezekiel's Temple complex is so massive, and there's so many different, measurements using the cubit but the the ezekiel complex was never built nobody ever built it and then of course when you come to the measurement of the staff of aaron and moses and also the staff of jesus and the apostles if you consider mark 6 8 jesus urges the apostles you have to have your staff when he disperses you because you need it because you're going to be communicating with me at the frequency of a monopole so that would mean that who, whoever's sending the message back only corresponds to that ancient world, does not correspond to the modern world. So we're not dealing with anybody that is... Well, it, as, as I said in, in, my, in my little promo piece, I said, whoever we're talking to, they know our ancient hidden history. Yes, and I think this is where the time comes in for the future, if I may say so, because like I said about Stonehenge, you were given the number 56. This relates to the uh, moon's metonic cycle, which is coming up in the future, like I said, 2025, mm. and to be precise of the day that is going to be activated at Stonehenge will be the winter solstice. 
So I wow. think time, I think it's about the past, the present, and the future, and it's guiding us to a particular time of the year at Stonehenge, when I think the energies are going to be very strong, and it's going to activate. Now, you've got that lay on the 51st parallel that goes around the world. So you're linking into Stonehenge on a great big grid system as well. So I think time is very important. I love what you're saying. So, again, it corresponds to Le Missouri's time clock 2025 is in the Great Pyramid Decoded, published in the, the mid-70s. But also there's two other psychics that give us the 2025 date. And so I, I think maybe, you know, Maria, you you have pointed us in the direction of what the, the message is, is to get ready for that date. And I hate to put people in anticipation because we were in anticipation in 2012 in the Mayan calendar. And um, But the, the pyramid math is so perfect in Le Miserere's book. But when he says 2025, he urges plus or minus two or three years. So when you say 2025... How yeah, accurate. but Maria's is based on the geometry of the of the monument yeah. itself and the physics. There's no slop. Right. There's no error. There's no error there. So she's saying there's no error. And Le Miserie probably is saying there's no error either. Even Gene Dixon predicted the Christ would return in 2025. You know, the, so there's something about 2025, absolutely. There really is. I'll tell you what, um, you know, I was gifted Zechariah Sitchin's flash drive of things he was looking into. And one of them was the Michigan artifacts, which was mound builder artifacts that were removed out of North American mound sites. Well, I've taken a deep dive and it says uh, 2024 is going to be huge because it said when day turns to night and Venus is visible in the night sky and the moon is eclipsed, the sun that the chariots of fire of the Elohim or the Anunnaki would reveal themselves in one end of heaven to the other. That's 2024, the great, the full totality eclipse. I looked into it and sure enough, Venus will be visible in the night sky. So what those tablets are saying is when we, when day turns to night in 2024, the, the sky is going to be filled with the chariots of fire of the Elohim, the mighty ones, is exactly what the tablet said. Just well, throwing that out there. So you're getting 2024. Because Venus well, is normally the bright and morning star, so you're saying it it appears at night. Okay, Maria, you had something? Well, no, it's going to be during the day. It's a full totality eclipse. Day will turn to night. Okay, right, obviously, Michael, this is something you need to bring up with Rick Levine tomorrow night. Maria, you had something. Yeah, I was just going to add as well, the, 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 the cycle of the Moon's Metonic cycle starts in 2024, and it kind of reaches its peak in 2025, so it can incorporate it what uh, Michael's just said. So I find that very fascinating, and I, I, like I said from the get-go, I think timing, this is pointing to a point in time, and we're leading up to that. That's what Richard? Yes? If I might add something, too, it's... Um... You know, I have a little different approach sometimes. And so <laughs> a week ago, Wednesday, December 15th, I go to bed and I set my intention. I want to go to Oumuamua. I'm interested to see if it's some sort of spaceship. And, you know, I set my intent. I get the vibrations. I go out of my body. I zoom off. And I find myself in a, a hallway 
and I'm with some tall, old, wise being. I don't know if it's an alien or one of the elders in the spirit world, but we have a very long conversation. This is a long uh, experience. Time is different there, but I would describe this as a, a long discussion of me asking as many questions as I could and getting these wonderful answers. And I'm going, wow, this is great information. And I even thought, I can't wait to share this with Richard. <laughs> I go, this is wonderful. And then... And? I know it's and coming. Then I, I know it's I coming. I hear a noise. Yes, I hear this horrible noise. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's getting louder. And then, yep, I'm pulled back to my body. And it's my cat, Biscuit, <laughs> yelling for food to wake up. And she, she probably couldn't wake me up. And so she's yelling. And I yelled at her because I wanted her to stop. I, I did not want to lose, you know, when you, you get pulled back like that. In the, oh, and, and Okay, then you just obvious and, question. Do you remember anything? No, just not the answer. So I called Scott DeTamble. As you may recall, we had him on for uh, Halloween right, and right. a couple shows before that. So the idea is, um, I, because I did ask my spirit guide, I'm like, please let me remember. I want to remember this. I want to know this information. Nothing came. So that's when I called Scott and we're going to do a hypnotherapy session, see if I can get oh, some of that back. That would be useful. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you will keep us uh, appraised of... Uh... Uh, apprised, yeah, apprised of, yes. of what happens. Okay, cool. Yep. Okay, we got about uh, four minutes. Anything anybody wants to say that um, we haven't covered? Well, I just want to repeat that I think we need to get dolphins involved. Um, when Jonathan did the playback, some of the sounds reminded me of hearing things underwater. So there's there's something about dolphins, maybe. We need a really good dolphin linguist. That's so weird because, John, didn't you tell me the other night something about it sounds like underwater? Yes, I and my mind is with the dolphins. I've been going out of body with the dolphins, and I'm writing this book now. It's a sequel to hmm. Ram I Am. It's called The Dolphinius Effect, where um, just very quickly. It reminds me yeah, of Star it, Trek for, you know, uh, yeah, The Voyage Home. <laughs> they actually go out to Monterey Aquarium. That's mm -hmm. where it takes place, right, in that little neighborhood area there. And um, <clears throat> Jack gets a psychic distress call, but this time it's not from a human or a ghost. It's from the dolphin. Of course, and, of course. Yes. Okay, Maria, Maria, mm. your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to get one of these radios. David will send you one. He has a few. He will then yeah. tutor you in how to use it. You will go to the center of Stonehenge. It would be ideal to do it live on the other side of midnight, but we don't have to do that. If you can record what's going on, we can then just play the tape and then you can narrate. But it seems to me that we need to transmit to our <clears throat> cousins from there and see what happens. Yes, I accept the mission. Okay, we'll get you a radio. You just got you just got to email me. I will, you guys David. were talking about the history. I think this could even go back to Mars with the cubits and measurements. I mean, 
I wouldn't be surprised if we're getting oh, numbers. Oh, that's a good idea, Jonathan. I would like to know which qubits they used because, again, they're sending me all these qubits, and some of the some of the qubits they've sent me are in between one qubit and another, but they don't fit perfectly in any known slots. So, I that's a thing about, that might be one of the most ancient sources of a qubit. Maybe Richard can help us with that because he did a lot of work on Well, Mars. you know, the one thing that was missing from Jimmy's compilation of the messages, I thought, was the layout of Sidonia. And I think we need to include that in our next transmissions. Not for tomorrow, but we're not going to stop doing this. You know, Muamu is out there. Something's answering, and we need to continue the data stream. We need help, boys and girls. We need help. Try to make that point this evening. And I'm afraid we're out of time for this Christmas night of 2021. What an extraordinary gift from a star afar in the sky by and by. So until tomorrow night when we do part two and we delve into deeper cosmic mysteries and other perspectives, remember, third star on the left, straight until morning. Good night, everyone. And Merry Christmas. Yeah.